Welcome to this special episode of Citizens Insight. I'm Robert Barwick, Research Director of the Citizens Party. Citizens Insight is our extended interview format with qualified people on matters of national importance to Australia. My guest today is a legendary investigative journalist who's joining us from New York, Lucy Commissar. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you very much. The reason Lucy's joining us is because we're going to discuss the following subject. Magnitsky acts are dangerous laws based on a hoax. Now, this is such an important subject, you're not going to see it talked about anywhere else in Australia except here and by the Citizens Party and a few collaborators. Um, but what's happened in this year is the Parliament has undertaken an inquiry into a, into a bill that Labor Senator Kimberly Kitching gave notice of back in December last year. I'll just read out what she, she gave notice for. She said that the following bill be introduced, a bill for an act to enable Australia to impose sanctions to promote compliance with international human rights law and respect for human rights or to deter significant corruption and for related purposes to be called the International Human Rights and Corruption Magnitsky Sanctions Bill 2020. Now, despite the name and how... Um, high-minded that sounds, it's actually something that we've identified as a very dangerous bill. Kimberly Kitching is, is one of a, a, a cohort of um, parliamentarians that are very, very close to the uh, United States government. They call themselves the Wolverines. And what they have sought to do for a long time is push Australian foreign policy in the direction of completely being in lockstep with US foreign policy, including the American policy of sanctioning everybody, essentially. Um, this particular bill, though, is the, is the work of a rather notorious character named Bill Browder, who uh, has a history that most people are not aware of, and that's what we want to talk about today. So I want to welcome um, Lucy, because Lucy is an American investigative reporter, and she's an expert on Bill Browder, Mr. Bill Browder, and his Magnitsky agenda. So... Like I said, welcome, Lucy. Please tell us a bit, before we get started, a bit about your experience in journalism, because you are a legend, and I want people to appreciate that as much as I do, and how you came about to investigate Bill Browder. I started out in journalism in the U.S. civil rights movement in the early 60s. I went to Jackson, Mississippi, because I wanted to do something in the movement. I wasn't a journalist then, except in my high school and college paper. I would, and this was while I was in college. I took a leave of absence. I became editor of the Mississippi Free Press because the, the guy running it needed me to do that. He had a, other things to do, such as raising money to keep it alive. It was a weekly civil rights newspaper, went all over Mississippi, mostly to black people. And I did that from 1962 to three for a year. I, I came home by bus. Just, um, Lucy, that was the time that I've, I've watched the movie Mississippi Burning about that notorious murder down there. That was roughly that era, was it? It was the year before uh, the killing yeah. of, you're talking about the three uh, yeah. students that were killed. That was in 64. I was there from 62 to three. I was there when Medgar Evers were ki was killed and he was a person that I knew well and I interviewed a lot for, for the right. paper. So I was there at the time, but I was there before the Mississippi Burning. Um, so I stayed there for a year. I went back by bus via the March on Washington, which was in August 63. I went to the March on Washington. 
then uh, back home when I graduated, uh, by the way, I couldn't get a job in a paper because uh, UPI, for example, said, sorry, Lucy, we already have three girls. They were probably doing fashion. They weren't hiring women. So wow. I reported freelance on labor, on feminist issues. I was national vice president of the national vice of the National Organization for Women, 1970 to 71. Then uh, I was on the board of Penn, American Penn, from 74 to 94, 20 years. And you know, that's an organization that uh, focuses on human rights, uh, the right of journalists to write what they can uh, and what they wanted without being put in jail. So you can see, I have a very strong human rights background. Um, Then in the 80s, I began uh, writing about movements for uh, uh, democracy in in third world countries. So I went to the Philippines run by the dictator Marcos. I went to Zaire run by the dictator Mobutu. I went there uh, then to Haiti run by a a follow-up Duvalier died, but there was Avril who was there and he was a general and he was just as bad. And what's so interesting was that the opposition movements in those countries on three different continents all told me the dictator has looted the country, stolen the money and stashed it in Swiss banks. What? Swiss banks? I didn't know anything about Swiss banks. I think sometimes if you if you saw a uh, a film, a, a thriller, there might be something about somebody going to a Swiss bank account to put money in Swiss banks. But that was just in the movies. I found out it wasn't just in the movies. It was very real. So I started looking into this uh, very seriously. And that that took me to William Browder, Bill Browder, because uh, when I, I went to Moscow in the year 2000, I went to a meeting uh, run by a, a law firm and um, um, one thing that was so funny, not funny after years later, uh, they gave out leaflets, which I still have, uh, advertising Mossack Fonseca. You can get a company. We can set you up a company with Mossack Fonseca. As you know, that's the famous Panama Papers. And Bill Browder, Bill Browder was at that meeting. And I had been looking into a Visma. Uh, Visma is a titanium company, titanium in Russia. Titanium is used uh, in airplanes. It's a metal. It's used in airplanes and and in other products. And I heard that he'd been up to some funny business. Uh, In fact, he was doing uh, transfer pricing together with his partners, Kenneth Dart, who's the billionaire owner of Dart Cups, and and another guy from New York. Transfer pricing is when you buy, you, you, you have a product, you sell it to a shell company, in this case, it was the Isle of Man for a very low fake price, which means you pay your minority shareholders very little and you pay taxes that are very little. Yeah. Then yeah. your shell company on the Isle of Man or someplace like that sells it on a real price on the real market and you keep the rake off. I'd heard he was up to that. And I asked a question at the meeting where he spoke and he started attacking me. And whenever I, I do something to fight corruption in this country, there are people that want to attack me. When I went out the coffee break, the other reporters laughed a lot because they knew he was a crook. So I decided. Was, yes. was this before or after the Magnitsky incident? Oh, it was, uh, that was in, in 2000. So way, way before. Way before. Way, way before. before. Well, that's, that, that brings me to my next question because Bill Browder testified at this inquiry in Australia that's just been conducted or is being conducted into the Magnitsky Act. 
He, he is promoted around the world as a champion of human rights who is going around the world um, pressuring countries or encouraging countries to pass this kind of law so that abuses of human rights can be sanctioned. Um, and that's his reputation. And no one questions it. And as you saw, nobody questioned it in, in relation to uh, this inquiry. Um, you're saying that's not the real Bill Browder. No. And about that time uh, that uh, they bought a visma from Khodorkovsky, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who was yep. doing the same scam and is also a crook. Um, and, and, and the time that they were uh, do, uh, doing this, because they, only, they owned the company only for a brief amount of time. This was around 97, 98. And uh, so what happened was, uh, that was uh, the year 98 when Browder gave up his U.S. citizenship. Now, the U.S. Uh, makes you pay taxes on earnings that are held offshore. The U.K. does not. So he transferred to be a British citizen and the American, uh, the Internal Revenue so uh, Service of the U.S. listed him on that year's sheet of tax expatriates. You can find it even online, IRS tax expatriates. There's Bill Browder. So they knew what he was doing. Um, and so I got very, I wrote about this. I wrote about, oh, the other thing that happened that was so, that was so much fun was um, they decided to sell Avisma to a company in Russia called VSMPO. It's an acronym for a long word, uh, a long series of words, because the, this VSMPO used Avisma in the products that it was making. And uh, so they, they sold it. Um, you know, before, before that happened, uh, you know, there's, they say there's no honor among thieves. Yeah. Well, the money was going through uh, an Isle of Man shell company run by a guy named Peter Bond, who's notorious as a big time crook who runs these, these companies. Uh, and uh, so he, what happened, he, he didn't give the new owners, Browder, Dart, and, and their, co their uh, colleague, he didn't give them all the rake off. They got very angry that he wasn't giving them all the money that they were stealing from their minority investors. So they filed a suit against him in the Isle of Man. In the Isle of Man, civil suits are not public. Only the parties can see them. So they didn't have any problem in saying in their suit, this is what our deal was. We were going to rake off the money. He was handling it for us. He didn't give us all the money that was stolen. This is, you know why we know this? Because when VSM, oh, they did settle, by the way, and um, uh, they, uh, the uh, Peter Bond had to had to pay them some money, so not a lot. I think it was about eight million dollars. But we know this because when a Browder and his friends sold a Visma to VSMPO, VSMPO hired a lawyer uh, who has offices in Philadelphia, the famous Philadelphia lawyer, and Moscow, right. and he went to the law firm that handled Avisma, which happened to be in London. He looked through the documents. He told me later, Lucy, I could not believe what I saw. That lawyer let me look at all the papers which said that his clients were thieves and they were robbing, they robbed the money from my company because the money should have gone into the coffers of Avisma, uh, which would then be there for VSMPO. So he filed a RICO suit against them in New Jersey. RICO is a racketeering law. And of course, 
he would have won. He had all the documents. He had doc where they they all say in the documents, we are stealing this money. And this guy, Peter Bond, didn't give us the rake off. They practically say that. But it was very clear. In fact, one of, in one of the part, one of the people says, if we hadn't gotten this money, this deal would not be interesting to us. Well, they settled with uh, VSMPO. It's a secret settlement. We don't know how much, but the lawyer told me we were very satisfied, which is what the lawyers tell you when they can't tell you the money. So I wrote about this in 100 Reporters uh, about the Avisma case and Browder. And I put in all the relevant documents. If anybody goes to 100 Reporters to look for this, they will see all the documents that were in the Isle of Man lawsuit that really got Browder and his friends in big trouble because they admitted to everything. So I was very interested in Browder. I thought, what else is this crook up to? And well, let me, let me remind, around, sorry, let me remind viewers that the person we're talking about is the number one, is the is the sole source for a law that's about to be rushed through the Australian Parliament, um, and and the parliamentarians that are rushing through this law in no way acknowledge anything about what uh, Lucy has just gone through. So this this is this is uh, stunning stuff. Um, it's all documented, and anybody that's list, that's listening and watching can go to. Uh, my website, thecommissarscoop.com or to 100 Reporters and look for it. And I post, put in all of the legal documents that, that I got. I, I spent a, a day going through 10 boxes in that lawyer's Philadelphia office, getting all the things that will that easily hang Bill Browder. So I looked in at that and I thought, what else is this guy up to? So now uh, I began to look into this uh, this other issue. And so now that I know that the, the Hermitage uh, thing was, was not the first thing that he was doing. Well, okay, so Hermitage, uh, the Browder Hermitage Company, they were using a shell companies to hold his stock buys. He, he has said in his, in his book that he was the biggest foreign investor in, um, in Russia, and that may, may well be true. And he was holding the shares in, in shell companies in uh, Russia, but also moving them when it suited his purpose to shell companies in Cyprus and from there to shell companies elsewhere, including to shell companies in the uh, British Virgin Islands, interestingly set up by Mossack Fonseca. Uh, so that was a, an interesting part. Uh, and what, how, what was he doing? Well, we know he didn't want, he doesn't like paying taxes. He became a tax expatriate from the U.S. and he uh, arranged not to pay full taxes from the Avisma profits. So I knew that he doesn't like paying taxes. What I found was the following. He set up the, his shell companies that would hold the stock shares of the stocks that he was buying from Russian, uh, Russian companies in Kalmykia. This is an interesting region. It's the only region in Russia that is majority Buddhist. And it had uh, laws aimed at helping of the region and also people. It had a law that if a company hired 50% of its uh, workforce was disabled, they would get a very big tax write-off, like 50%, very big. And if they invested in the region, they would get another tax write-off. What did Browder do? He invented employees. He, uh, Magnitsky, who was of course his accountant and he says he's his lawyer, but he was his accountant from, from uh, 97. When, when we know Browder was already up to his ears in funny stuff, he got Magnitsky to go to Kalmykia and find workers, laborers, who would, who would uh, let him for money, not a lot of money, but 
use their working papers. And he would claim, and they would claim in their tax forms, that these people were uh, working for uh, Browder's companies, his shell companies, which actually only held shares, didn't do anything. And therefore, he could have this write-off. And he took the write-off. And the investigators started looking into some of this. And they said by the early 2000s, hey, wait a minute, you owe us $40 million because you've been taking fake tax deductions. Those are fake tax deductions. He refused to pay and went back and forth and they're demanding and he's refusing. Uh, So by the time we get to November of 2005, he was out of the country. He comes back. They don't let him in. They don't give him a visa. Do we want a tax evader in our country? Not really. So uh, that was the story about uh, they didn't let him in. They didn't give him a visa. And so the next year, what he did was uh, move uh, all of the assets he did have in the shell companies out of Russia through Cyprus and um, and then uh, to shell companies that he had elsewhere, mostly uh, the, the British Virgin Islands. And uh, the, the Russians later were able to get bank transfer records uh, from both Russian and American banks, but which were based in Moscow, uh, which show how he was moving the shares. Uh, the uh, One of the shares that he was moving, by the way, this was another scam, was Gazprom. Gazprom is the major energy company, and it's considered strategic. That's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, and so for a number of years, only Russian nationals were allowed to buy shares in Russia. Other people could buy shares in London, and they were called ADR, American Depository Receipts. They were much more expensive, maybe one and a half to two times more expensive, and you could only buy a limited amount. So what did Browder do? He faked it, like he always does. He set up shell companies that pretended to be Russian-owned shell companies, and he bought millions of dollars worth of Gazprom, a very large amount. So in addition to the tax uh, cheating. The Russians uh, started when they discovered to started to a- accuse him of illicit stock buys. So in the end, the forty million has climbed to something like a hundred million. He owes them. He owes the Russians a hundred million. That's the deep dark secret of the Magnitsky Act. The Magnitsky Act is the Browder Protection Act. Browder protection from the Russians uh, going well, after him. Well, just for, to explain uh, that, just to explain that. So this the the Magnitsky Act is named after Browder's accountant, Sergei Magnitsky. Um, and it's based on Browder's version of the story, which um, you rightly call a hoax. But could yeah, you, that's, that's the next story. Okay. Before, before you expose the hoax, um, can you tell us his version of the event, what the official event story is that these, bills, these laws are being okay. based on and then how, how flawed that is? So first, um, because of the investigations... Uh, uh, Magnitsky is uh, uh, interrogated three times by authorities in 2006 once and in 2008 twice. And then in 2000, uh, at the end of uh, 2008, uh, he's detained, uh, not not, uh, arrested and then put to trial, but many countries have detention if they think you're going to flee. And in fact, the European Court of Human Rights did a study of this based on a complaint by Browder and the, the Magnitsky family. And they said they had every right to arrest him 
detain him because they had a lot of evidence that he was involved in the tax evasion. And he had been um, inquiring about flights to London. And they said they thought he was a, you know, a flea possibility. And, the, and so the European Court and Human Rights in Hague, they said that uh, the Russians had every right to detain him. So while he was detained, and it ended up being for, for nearly a year, uh, and uh, he was told uh, by the lawyers that he should make complaints. Uh, and he wasn't communicated with by Browder at all. Browder admits this in a, in a deposition. In fact, he, he, Browder admits that he, had, he, hadn't seen him for three, he hadn't seen him for three years. Yeah. Uh, but the lawyers wanted him to make complaints. And he tried not to, to, to make up uh, serious ones because he didn't want to get his cellmates in trouble. But they, they, they did that. This was all during, during 2009. Uh, and uh, in the end, uh, he got very ill with uh, uh, stomach uh, problems, very serious uh, problems. And uh, he got terrible medical care. That is true. Not that it's not true in the United States as well, in other countries. He got dreadful medical care and he might not have died. And in the, Rus in the Russian reports that were done on this, the forensic reports, they said that, that he got, he got bad medical care. You know, it was a perfect storm of this, this uh, report not going to the right place and this person not doing the right thing. Got terrible care. He died. Uh, and uh, there was a report done by the... Uh, uh, the public Moscow Public Oversight Commission, which is an NGO, a non-governmental group, which is charged with looking into Russian prisons. And they said he got terrible care. The you know, conditions were terrible. The building was 100 years old and they had all kinds of problems. Uh, and they said, and he died because he didn't get good care. So that was, the report came out about uh, a month, maybe it was December of 09, a month after he died. And in the first, uh, uh, when Browder first spoke about this, and we know this because it's online in text and also in video. He spoke to Chatham House, which is the major foreign policy organization, uh, a very elite one in London. And he spoke to the San Diego University Law School. And he said, um, we don't know how he died, but um, you know he didn't get good care and he died. And that's what they said. That's what he said. Those were in the two years after uh, Magnitsky's death. Then, um, he was getting in trouble because the Russians were still going after him on the taxes. He needed to do something. Uh, a guy named Jonathan Weiner, a former State Department official, now working for a big PR firm, which is the same one that was uh, APCO, APCO, that was helping, working for Khodorkovsky. They came up with an idea. They would make up a story. Now, I'm not a fly on the wall, but the story is developed <laughs> as fiction, so we know they figured it out because his idea was let's get a Magnitsky Act passed and let's build. Uh, now, again, I'm assuming based on what they did, what they were thinking, uh, but let's get this act passed and we will stop the Russians from going after you because we're not going to win if you go to court in Russia. Obviously, they have all, they have all the evidence, but we'll do something else. So suddenly um, the uh, Magnitsky is no longer... We don't know how he died, and he was he was in a room by himself, which Browder told, and you can see this in, in a video and on in text. All of a sudden, he was beaten to death by eight riot squad thugs who came in and spent an hour and 15 minutes in this little room, beat him to death. 
Um, it's interesting that Andrei Nekrasov, a very good filmmaker who did a, a video, a film on this, uh, called the Magnitsky Act uh, behind the scenes, measured the room that he was supposed to be in. And he said, they couldn't fit eight people in there. The other question is, does it really take eight people to, uh, who's be who are beating somebody for an hour and 18 minutes to kill him? And the third point is, I was able to get uh, the forensic photos of Magnitsky. There's not a mark on his body. The only marks are on his ankles and wrists. And that people said because he was banging on the rails and uh, that's why that happened. But you would think that somebody that was beaten for an hour and 18 minutes by eight thugs with truncheons would have a few bruises on his head, on his body, nothing. Do you think anybody that put this in the bill, because the American bill actually has the eight riot squad guys, do you think any of them asked for evidence? Did they want to look at a picture and say, how could this guy be beaten for an hour and 18 minutes when there's not a, there's not a bruise on his body? Do you think they cared? No, they didn't care. So this, this is what happened. Uh, then he needed another story as to why Magnitsky, he needed to uh, 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 fix up the story of Magnitsky being in, in jail for the tax evasion, because people would say, well, what about that? What about the tax evasion? What were the charges? He had to muddy the waters. So this is how he muddied the waters. And this is the, the story that you were getting to. But he, also needed to he also needed a story of why he, Browder, was suddenly the target. Yes, and why it was the big guys in, um, in Russia and not, it wasn't just a, a small operation, yeah. some tax evasion. So he invented this story. Uh, and actually, the, the event took place and the evidence shows us that he was involved. This was going around in Russia. It happened a, a few times before, a number of times before. Uh, you have two, company, two, two companies or a group of two companies and they do fake lawsuits. One sues the other in, this, in a collusive lawsuit. It, right. This one side says, uh, you, you people, you promised in a contract, you promised to do this and this and this, and you didn't do it. And we lost a huge amount of money and we are suing you and we are demanding that you pay us that money. And the other side in the collusive lawsuit, and by the way, I spoke to a Russian lawyer who was involved in the collusive lawsuit. So he told me all about it. And uh, so the other side says, yes, you're right. We, we did this terrible thing. We didn't do what we said we would do. And we're gonna pay you what you ask. Guess what? The sum that they pay turns out in the Browder case, and, but there were other cases similar before that, to be the entire profit that Browder's companies have made the year before, $1 billion. And the uh, tax that would have been paid was $230 million. And so Browder's company now demands that the treasury give him back the $230 million because he paid it, but now he had zero profit. Clever, isn't it, a tax refund fraud? Well, so this, this was done, this was done at the end of 2007. And uh, now Browder would say that the companies, his companies had been stolen from him yep. and he had nothing to do with, with these lawsuits. Well, there are several funny things about that. Uh, the, uh, the trustee that hand that was the official owner or the manager of the Browder Her Hermitage company and the Shell companies, that was HSBC, which is known as a dirty bank. Very good. And 
very dirty bank for drug traffickers and for William Browder. So they, uh, they were based in Guernsey and uh, there was a document that they filed, a financial paper in, it was about June, I guess, of uh, 2007, in which they talked about needing $7 million uh, for their legal fund in order to deal with uh, the theft of, of the shell companies. Now, this was attested to, there the documents, but also the controller of HSBC gave a deposition in US federal court and he said, yes, that's right, this happened. That's it, it was about, I would say July. Browder says in his book, he didn't find out about the theft of the companies till October, July, August, September, October. What's happening in the middle? How could he, you mean the HSBC, which is handling his company and this real serious thing happens, they don't tell him. The other thing that happened, he says, well, we didn't get any notice. Well, uh, th there were envelopes that were marked from the court and, uh, and there are dates and the, the court judgment of these fake, the, the fake uh, cases were sent to the address where uh, the Hermitage was getting all of its mail. And this was an address where the, the uh, cause Browder's accountant was Magnitsky, he would pick these, the, the mail up. So we're talking about 2007 when uh, HSBC says, we know the companies, companies have been stolen. We need nine million, we need $7 million to add to three million. So we'll have 10. And, and then meanwhile, uh, Magnitsky uh, has, has to have picked up. Magnitsky also says he didn't find out about the theft of companies till October. Uh, but he's picking up the mail in, right. and the, they're postmarked in, uh, in July. So he's lying. And so in the end, um, he, he is arrested. And what Browder says is he conflates um, the tax evasion. He says the companies were stolen by Russian officials or people connected to Russian officials. They're the thieves. And that's why they arrested Magnitsky. And of course, the fact that Magnitsky test was interrogated about the tax evasion in 2006, the year before the tax refund fraud, nobody seems to bring up because they were asking about the tax evasion. And so the, so the, the public's supposed to believe that Russia is this terribly corrupt place. And here comes Bill Browder on a white horse and, he, and his, his accountant or, or lawyer, as he calls him, exposes this fraud. And, and for, that goes right to the top, uh, to the Kremlin. And for exposing that fraud, he's arrested, Browder's persona non grata, and Putin's been after him ever since, hence the, the murder of Magnitsky. That's the essence of Browder's story. It's a very clever, the guy could be a, a scriptwriter. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> interesting, clever story. Uh, and, and the fact that uh, politicians and the mainstream media uh, do not ask any questions. They don't ask, nobody asks for evidence. Even the, the stuff about Magnitsky being a lawyer and not an accountant, nobody asks for evidence. In, in the depositions, um, in, uh, along with the depositions filed, this was in the Prevazon case, let me back up. Yeah. Uh, Browder got the US Justice Department to go after a guy named, uh, uh, a guy owning a company, a real estate company called uh, Prevazon uh, and say that he had received this money. He accused him actually first of getting the 230 million, but the Justice Department had to change, had to do a new case, a new, a new complaint because they said he stole the 230. Then they said, oh no, he stole 1.9 million out of the 230. This is all from Browder. When the Justice Department uh, investigator 
well, in, in this case, this Prevazon case, which was uh, uh, the, the Justice Department had um, frozen uh, about $6 million uh, of uh, Prevazon company uh, uh, assets. Uh, they, they were uh, asked about this and uh, they, uh, they, there was no evidence. I mean, they couldn't show that the money had gone from here to there. Uh, but again, nobody cared about that. And nobody cared about uh, how did this how did this start, and how is it? Oh, the other the chief investigator for the Justice Department was wonderful. Uh, one of the lawyers for the Prevazon side uh, asked him, "And and where did you get your evidence, which on which you were basing this case that you have filed?" Uh, from Bill Browder. Oh, from Bill Browder. Any place else? From the internet. From the Bill Browder and the internet. The Justice Department brought a major case against a Russian company and tied it up for several years, cost the millions of dollars in legal fees because of evidence they got from Bill Browder and, and, the, and the internet. So this, you know, the Justice Department was in on the fakery. The Justice Department is very, on this, really, oh, yeah. really dirty. Is this the case that led to the deposition that, that you can watch online where Bill Browder under oath has to, has to contradict everything he's ever said? That's right. That's right. And, and in, in that case, uh, they put the uh, interrogations that uh, the uh, uh, ministries of the justice had done of Magnitsky the, before he was arrested. And those are all there. And on page one, it lists what his occupation is, auditor. And where did he go to school? It mentions an accounting school. So it's really anybody that wanted to look for evidence just yeah. has to look online. It's not really that hard. It's all translated into English. But the American, uh, the media is either uh, stupid, lazy, or corrupt. I'm not sure. A little bit of each. Each well, one had. Well, none of those. None of those descriptions of the media is surprising, um, Lucy. However, this was the subject of an inquiry here in Australia this year, which you contributed to, and you tried to put this evidence to the inquiry, so that the the, the parliamentarians, whose job is to weigh everything up when they're looking at this kind of law, and and you would think when they're presented with evidence that says, hang on, everything you've just been told by this person is a hoax, look at that, you'd think they would have to weigh, up, weigh that up as well. What was your experience with the Australian inquiry? It was, it was very disillusioning. Uh, first, by the way, there were some people that were invited to give testimony and they were all people supporting the law. Yeah. Uh, and a, a very heavy uh, percentage was... Uh, people supporting it because they wanted aimed at China. Because I know that in, in, um, in Australia, the, the big enemy is for, for some people is China. Whereas in the US, it's maybe a little bit of China, a little bit of Russia. But they, uh, but I, I requested to, to testify. Uh, I was allowed to send in written testimony. And when it was finally published on the website, and you, again, uh, you can get all of this on the Foreign Affairs Committee website and in my own uh, articles about this on, on my website, uh, the Commissar Scoop, you can uh, get a link to it. They redacted it very, very heavily and they cut the links. So anytime I had something that was really tough on Bill Browder, black, 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 redaction, redaction. Anytime I wanted to show, look, this is really true. Here's a link, cut the links. Can you imagine that's censorship, censorship of, of, of somebody providing information? And you know what they said to me? Well, our members can see the whole thing. It's just the public that can't see it. 
<laughs> that says uh, the contempt that uh, these members of parliament seem to uh, have for the public. Uh, finally, they uh, cut off some of the censorship, but not all of it. And Browder uh, wrote a, a letter attacking me personally. And when I wrote a response, they refused to uh, put that on online. That's right. He was given. He was given. Right, right. He was given right of reply to you, but you weren't given right of reply right. back to him. That's right. Uh, yes, he was. He was allowed to have a, a reply to my submission, but I was not allowed to have a reply. Uh, well, he also his... he also replied to the Citizens Party's submission. Was given that right, and he essentially accused us of being part of. Vladimir Putin's disinformation campaign in this area. Were you afforded the same honour? Oh yeah, he calls me. He says all all the time uh, that I, you know, must be a, you know a Russian asset or a Russian troll. Uh, you know, he, you have to. You assume that's going to happen. I yeah. mean, the, the the guy has has the morals of a sewer rat. So I'm I'm not surprised. And and I, by the way, speak very openly about him. And I say repeatedly that he's a con man and a crook. Yeah because he doesn't dare take me to court because I would make him get on the stand and I would show all the evidence of his lies and it would make a big trouble. It's interesting that the only time, by the way, the, the Magnitsky laws, uh, supposedly human rights laws, and I don't know what the, the one uh, that will be in, in Australia, uh, what it will say, but it's a human rights law with no due process, no due process. Uh, the, the people who are accused have no right to confront their accuser, confront the charges, confront the evidence, answer the charges, uh, have a, adjudication by a, a person or a body different than the prosecutor. This is a star chamber law. This is not a human rights law. Well, well let's be and, clear on that. So we're, we're talking about laws that get passed in countries like the United States. In fact, it's not just the United States, the United Kingdom and the five eyes, United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand are all expected to pass these laws. So there's an international element to it so that we have a united front in this area. But basically, we pass laws that allow us to um, impose sanctions on people overseas just because they're accused. No evidence, no due process, um, nothing like that. And so... Um, by any measure, that's a gross human rights violation, but that's being done in the name of supposedly defending human rights. Now, there's a so we can talk about the broader targets, but specifically, so this is not lost, you have identified that the real target for this law when it was first put up were the people in the Russian government who could have exposed Bill Browder. That's right. Uh, they were... And then they're, and they were low level. They were tax investigators. They were judges. They were people working in the prison or in the uh, hospital. Uh, nobody, very, nobody that, whose name anybody would know. But the purpose, uh, he had to somehow connect them to uh, Magnitsky. But the purpose of the law is really not to go after those people. The purpose of the law is to build a political wall. Uh, against prosecution by the Russians. It's interesting, of those people, there's only one that ever got a day in court. And that was Pavel Karpov, uh, he's a tax investigator who'd investigated Browder's tax evasion. He got the day in court in London because he filed a defamation case against Browder in London, since Browder lives in London. Yep. And in the end, the, the judge, Justice Simon, uh, uh, dismissed the case because he said Pavel did not have a reputation in the UK to uphold 
Therefore, he didn't have standing. I mean, nobody ever, he didn't go to London. Nobody ever heard of him in London. If you're bringing defamation, you have to say, my reputation was sullied. Well, he couldn't say that about England. But what, the, what Justice Simon said, and it's in his uh, the, the decision, the ruling, was uh, there, there was no way that uh, what he did could ever be connected to the death of Magnitsky. Mag Magnitsky had uh, put a video online accusing Pavel Karpov of being responsible for the quote, murder of Meg. I mean, Browder had put a, a video online accusing uh, Pavel- A tax Karpov investigator of murdering Magnitsky. For the murder of Magnitsky. And the judge in London said, there's no way that, that you can connect those two events. And you know, you didn't even bring try to bring any evidence. He said, it's really in in my words, he said, basically said, it's a stretch. And he said, he's dropping the case now. But if you were to repeat this, these falsehoods against Pavel Karpov, there's nothing that says I cannot reopen the case. So the one place where one of the Browder victims got a part of a, a day in court, he got the judge to speak on his side because the judge actually looked at evidence, unlike uh, so many people uh, in our countries, the, the judge looked at evidence. And that's really important. And that's why you want a rule of law. And what the, what this has done, though, these Magnitsky acts is, is this, they've certainly protected Browder. But the, the Five Eyes element, the, the Western governments that have come in and started promoting them, um, as we've identified, they have seen them as a way they can weaponize human rights against their strategic targets. China, Russia, etc., in a way where they can blame individuals in those countries for horrific human rights abuses that will never have to be proven in court. And of course, as we saw with, you know, one of my experiences, Lucy, and you know, you were there too, is the way that the decade of drumbeat about Saddam Hussein as this terrible monster of a person that we all just accepted those claims. When it came to the to the end, they said, oh, you know, he's got weapons of mass destruction, he's going to threaten us, etc. And we all just believed it, right? Um, and we got a war that has proven to be so destructive to the Middle East and to the rest of the, 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 the 21st century so far. Um, this, is, this is the danger, that, that go, that's why we're calling this a dangerous law. And Senators Kimberly Kitching, Erica Betts, Andrew Hastie, and the other members of the Human Rights Subcommittee of the Australian Parliament who are ramming this law through the parliament, they are deliberately ignoring what you are saying. So can we just conclude with what would you like to say to them if they got to watch this and to the Australian, to the Australian people generally about this law? One, one of the fascinating um, um, interventions at the hearing was by um, a First Secretary um, uh, Noonan of the Foreign Affairs uh, Department. Oh, yeah. And he said, we already have, since 2011, we already have a law that deals with sanctions. And if we have a second law um, that's not really the same, this could be very confusing. And maybe we need to make some adjustments to the law that we have, but we don't think in the department we should have a second law. Well, uh, uh, poor Mr. Newnham, Newnham, <laughs> He doesn't know that that's not the reason Browder is pushing this yeah. law. Browder doesn't care what's in the law. He only cares what's in the title. It has to be called a Magnitsky Act because that's part of his international public relations campaign to build a wall against the Russians 
going after him for $100 million in evaded taxes and illicit buys of, of Gazprom stocks. He doesn't care what's in the law. It'd be very interesting to see what happens in the parliament, uh, how they deal with this question that we already have a law and uh, why do we need another law? Well, of course, if you change the name of the, of the law you have to the Magnitsky Act, Browder would be happy. But, uh, but that's not the reason for it. It's totally political. And the danger is once you have a law like this, which is really a star chamber, suppose some uh, dictatorial country, some autocrat someplace decides, I'm going to uh, charge XYZ opposition with all kinds of things, and I'm going to put him in prison, and I don't... I don't have to do anything except follow the Magnitsky Act. Maybe I'll put one in, in my own country. I'll call it something else. Maybe I'll even call it the Magnitsky Act. Yeah. And, and then that becomes a model for uh, dictators around the world. So instead of being a human rights act, a pro-human rights act, it becomes an anti-human rights act. It becomes a model that dictators can use to attack oppositions. That is the great irony of it. And that is something that... Uh, the members of parliament should consider, do they want to have a model that uh, the countries that they love to hate will adopt and say, this is your model. What's wrong with that? We're doing just what you do. That's, very, that's a very good point, uh, Lucy. I hope this has been enlightening for Australians that, that, that we can have legislation being pushed through the Australian parliament entirely on the, on the word of, of a, a hoaxer, a con man, as you call him. Um, and we... Uh, we'll continue to fight it. We've been working with you all year and I appreciate you, you um, taking the time to pay attention to this issue in, in Australia. Your, your contribution has been um, invaluable, but we'll continue to fight this so that they, they don't get away with it. Um, but as we discussed months ago, you and I, when uh, we saw how the inquiry was playing out, the fix was in. Right, they've, they've definitely, this does seem that it's, it's, um, it's intended to go ahead but we'll continue to expose it in the hope that we can actually stop it and expose the bigger agenda. And uh, Lucy, we'll see how it, how it plays out. Now, this was initially intended to be introduced this year. The final sitting starts next week, the final sitting of Parliament. However, because the inquiry hasn't completed yet, I'm not sure the bill will end up being introduced this year. So maybe it'll be next year after all. Um, uh, and if that's the case, we might get you back on on Citizens Insight sometime in the future to discuss what's happened in the meantime. But can I thank you very much for joining us this week on Citizens Insight. You've been, your contribution's been exceptional. Thank you. All right, and thanks to the viewer. Tune in for more episodes in the future of Citizens Insight.